Welcome to We Gotta Talk, a live weekly talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. From health to relationships to alternative lifestyles and more, the one thing you will always get is a deep dive. I'm Sunny, a 15-year veteran of TV news, freelance writer, blogger, mom of three, and wife. But most of all, I'm just a die-hard oversharer, someone who's genuinely curious about, well, everything around me. And I can't wait for you to join in on these conversations that I promise will impact, inspire, and entertain you. Now, let's talk. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 116 of We Gotta Talk with Sunny. I am Sunny, and I'm grateful that you're here for another amazing conversation today. So this week on the blog slash social slash talk show and podcast, we are digging deep on the topic of the well-rounded kid. And as always, we come at these topics from a variety of different angles. So on the blog, we talked about some health tips a super smoothie recipe that's got great nutrients and veggies for your kids. We talked with a breathwork expert. If you've ever experienced a child's tantrum, you know how important it is to be able to teach them a sense of self-control. So we got a great article up on the blog this week about breathwork for children and how to help bring them down to center them in moments of distress. And today's episode, we are talking with two experts about children and technology. Here is the short story of how the past year has gone in our house. Uh, we started off virtual learning a year ago, like everyone else did. We had multiple breakdowns. It was insane at moments. Um, actually, I remember this one moment, my son, who was first grade last year and I, and we're looking at each other at the kitchen island as he's doing the 15th assignment of the day. Why first graders need to do 10 assignments a day? I don't know. But anyway, we're looking at each other and we simultaneously broke down in tears. I was like, I'm sorry, but I've never been a teacher before. And he's like, why are you so mean? And I'm like, I don't know, because this is really hard. The long story short of it is that because of those high stress moments over the pandemic for the past year, I have turned personally to technology to alleviate stress. It's a shortcut and admittedly maybe a bad way to give your children a bit of distraction, but I've also found tremendous benefit in using technology with our kids. So I'm really excited about talking with two experts today about how technology is and can be both helpful and many cases harmful. So we're gonna cover all of it today. I'm gonna pull up my notes here because I wanna get their intros right. Our two very special guests today are Dr. Roberta Golenkoff, professor of education at the University of Delaware and the author of Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children. And we also have Dr. Rebecca Dorr, a senior research associate at the Crane Center for Early Childhood Research and Policy at The Ohio State University. Ladies, thank you so much for being on We Gotta Talk today. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having us, it's great. This is awesome. I, I mean, look, I just kind of gave you guys the backstory of what my family has been doing with technology, which is using it as a virtual pacifier. Um, how wrong have I been? Either one of you can pick up the answer. Roberta, I see you going for it. I mean, I have to admit, I need a little downtime once in a while and the iPad absolutely. is a quick way to get that. Oh, absolutely. This has been a terrible year for families. And the vast majority of kids, except for those in fancy private schools, have had online instruction going on all this time. 
And it's really difficult because parents are trying to do their own job while they're trying to help kids. There's no easy answer. And I admire parents tremendously. And I also admire teachers tremendously, many of whom knew nothing about doing online instruction when this all started. So if you want to see some more screen time during this period, I understand it 150%. And I think it doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way in the future, but geez, this has been rough. It's been rough. And Rebecca, I know in your work with children as well, you've probably seen both the benefits and the drawbacks. Is there a rule of thumb, in your opinion, when it comes to exposure or amount of time on these devices? I'm specifically referring to mobile devices like iPads or tablets, etc. But I mean, whether it's any type of technology, is there a magic number that we should be aiming for? Sure. I think when we think about this stuff, it's important to think less about quantity. So what's that magic number and more about quality and context, right? So can we be providing kids with better types of media that are gonna be more supportive of their learning, their creativity, um, and then context. So how can you as a, as a parent or another adult support children's engagement with technology in a way that makes it meaningful? Um, and I like to fo focus more on that and less on what's that magic number um, that can be hard to, hard to stick to and, and isn't um, super empirically based. So you're saying the types of apps, the types of things that they're engaging with. Do you have any, like we love a good practical takeaway um, for parents out there who are listening, are there apps that you love? Are there exercises they can do that are more engaging than Roblox, which is what our favorite household game is? That's I mean, Roblox good. can't be all that bad, yeah, right? Yeah, there's interaction. Good. Okay, good. Yes. Tell me some of your favorites, guys. So anything that Sesame Street puts out is excellent. Anything. now. We recently wrote a paper, um, me and several of my other colleagues at the University of Michigan and Temple University, in which we evaluated the existing apps on the market that claim to be educational, note the air quotes, turns out the vast majority are not great. So there may be parents out there right now who are thinking, oh, I know how to help my kid catch up. I'll just buy some apps. Well, I'm sorry. But I'm here to tell you that is not going to do it. And if your child gets to play outside with other children and feed that side of themselves, which they've had stifled for so long, that's a big deal. And if you keep reading with and to your children, mm -hmm. they will probably get tons out of that. So I wouldn't be chaining them to the screen on these apps that are a very questionable quality. Okay, Rebecca, you want to weigh in on that and with any specific ideas you have if we do have to resort to a little bit of screen time? Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of specific resources, Roberta certainly writes Sesame Street and then anything from PBS Kids more broadly is um, really research-based and, and supported um, to help children's learning. Um, and that can be both apps and television shows, right? So they have a lot of um, great television programming, but also a lot of great um, apps on the App Store that are um, from PBS. Um, and then Common Sense Media is another really good resource in terms of um, looking for, for apps and for other media. So they have great reviews, um, both parent and child reviews, but also their expert reviews and analysis of different media products and sort of ratings of how um, educational they, they might be. So I think that's a really good resource for parents mm -hmm. as well who are trying to look around for high quality educational programming. What about Fortnite? <laughs> 
Not to get specific. Do you know about Fortnite? Do either of you ladies, are you familiar? Okay. Yeah, is this Rebecca. a thumbs up or is this a thumbs down? Um, I know a little bit about Fortnite, not a ton, but I think um, thinking about the types of uh, media experiences that kids have, I like to think about it less as um, this is good and this is bad and you can only have good educational media all the time and more like a media diet, just like your regular child's you know, dietary uh, you know, food consumption every day, right? And so that means that we want them to have some vegetables and some nutritious food that's good for them. So some of that high quality educational media is important. Um, but that doesn't mean they can't have a little bit of candy or chocolate every now and then, right? And so thinking about that media diet as a whole and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And is that 100% you know, entertainment, 100% um, Fortnite? Or, or is there more of a mix in that diet there? Roberta, I want to touch on this with you because I, I see your hand going up and she brought up balance, which is a word that I go back to time and time again, oh, not yeah. being an expert in parenting, but I have heard plenty of judgmental comments about how I feed my children, how I entertain yes. my children. And yeah. there's nothing that puts me off quicker from an individual than hearing them give their opinion about my parenting. I oh, want to just yes. literally set myself on fire and run away. Yes. So in your yes. research, and I know you wrote a book all about this, how to raise well-adjusted children. What does research say about the concept of balance when it comes to, to, to parenting and to setting boundaries? Oh, this is a big question. So it's a big book, one. The book that you're referring to is Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children. And what we talk about in there is how many schools don't cultivate the skills that kids really need to succeed in the 21st century. Um, we have a set of six C's that we describe that parents can help their children develop at home. Um, we need these skills as well. So it's um, communication, collaboration, content, critical thinking, creative innovation, and confidence. So learning from our mistakes and trying again. And parents can really make a difference for children because they can think about as we talk about in the book, we have like a report card that they can fill out on themselves and on their child to see where their child needs support. And then they can just do everyday activities as we describe in the book that helps kids develop these skills. It used to be the case that if you got straight A's, you got a job. Now that's not true anymore. You are evaluated for your social emotional intelligence, your creativity, in addition to what you know. This book is about those things and how we can help our children acquire these additional skills so they can be successful both in their personal lives as well as in their careers. Can you run through that list of C's again, Roberta? And we'll put this guys to. in show notes as well. Okay. So uh, we would start with collaboration because the first thing that kids figure out when they're born is that there's somebody else out there and they are also communicating. That's the second one with that person. Now, each of these skills grows with experience and over time. And then there's content, which, of course, we think of as the uh, three R's and more. But lots of content gets communicated, as we know, by parents and places that parents take their kids and talk about, like an exotic place, like the supermarket, right? Then there's critical thinking. We want to encourage our children to ask questions. You know, the uh, interminable why that drives you crazy. There's a reason that kids do that. Kids really want to learn about the world. 
They don't want to be passive. They want to understand. And they love having that back and forth conversation that they control when they say why. And then mm -hmm. there's creative innovation. And we can nurture creativity in our children easily by asking them simple questions like, how would you rearrange your room? Could you draw that for me? I mean, kids love this stuff. Anytime that they're mm -hmm. asked to use their noggin to think about things that aren't exactly the way they are, it's an invitation to them to be creative. And then we talk about confidence. Confidence is learning from mistakes. And many parents in the past have done children's homework, which is a definite no-no and not encourage children to try new things, even if they might not do so well at first. Mm -hmm. But just like any entrepreneur or scientist tries a million ways to do things, our kids need to do that too. Yeah, I mean, experimentation is, is yeah. fun when you're a kid to see what works and, and what methods of learning are best. Rebecca, I saw you wanting to pop in, so I'll open it up to you again. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I think that, um, you know, although Roberta's book is, is broader in terms of these three C's and their place in children's, or the, the C's and their place yes. in children's life, um, we can also think about this in terms of technology specifically, right? And a lot, all of these things apply to the types of technology and media that you're choosing, that we're choosing for our kids. Um, so communication and collaboration, we can think about choosing apps and media that is going to support engagement with parents and siblings and other um other people in children's lives, so they're not just sort of solo on that screen um, by themselves or engagement with their friends, right? So a lot of the apps that kids have been using during the pandemic are social apps where they can engage with friends um, remotely during, the, during this time. Um, content is thinking about what's the content of that media. Is there you know, some good educational um, or something kids can learn from it? Um, creative thinking, so they're apps that are, can support creative thinking versus just sort of rote memorization. Um, mm -hmm. Create, same with creativity and then confidence as well, right? So are there some of the apps or, or games that we think about um, where kids are sort of playing on their own and encountering challenges and having to overcome those, they may not be specifically educational in terms of like being about letters and numbers, but they may be um, providing those challenges that can encourage kids um, both critical thinking and their confidence in overcoming uh, those challenges as well. Rebecca, I know some of your work has focused on using digital games, using iPad or tablet games to support learning in kids. Tell me something interesting you learned about the way children are learning today, how rapidly they're processing information that maybe a generation ago, i.e. we, were not doing. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I think in our studies, um, we've shown that kids can learn um, new vocabulary words from digital games. And I think that's really important to show um, because we didn't really know a lot about children's learning from that type of content. Um, and we found that even after one session in a lab or four sessions in a classroom, children were picking up on the new vocabulary words. And they were really difficult vocabulary words that we were trying to teach them. And kids were actually picking up on that um, in the preschool age range after um, just, a few, just a few sessions, which I think suggests that um, there's really a lot of opportunity to use um, sort of high quality developmentally appropriate educational apps for children's learning, um, we just need to think about, as Roberta was saying, what apps are out there and how can we support creators and, and media producers in making those um, higher quality content. So Go I, ahead, Roberta, yeah. I, I love how Rebecca has taken the 60s and applied them to technology and the parents are making the choices about what it is their children need and they can be guided 
by those. But I also want to emphasize how important parents are. So we have conducted a study where we have a parent reading with a child, whether it's a an app or whether it's a traditional book or whether it's the child reading alone. And when parents read with children, it doesn't matter whether it's a traditional book or it's an app. Parents of four children, tremendous opportunities for learning. It's much better than giving the kid an app and saying, go read, have a mm -hmm. good time. Because parents interpret what the kids are interested in and talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's the interaction you're saying, which is yes. vital to the learning process. Exactly. Yeah. So Answer this question for me, either one of you. Is it true that what we're hearing these days, the kids these day, days are in fact smarter, quicker because of the technology that they're exposed to? This is laying aside all concerns about technology for the moment, but you do hear parents say, I swear my kids are learning faster. Do you attribute any of that to technology? And do you does your research in fact show that that's happening? So one thing that the research shows is that people dramatically overestimate how much they get out of technology. It's funny, but it's true. Really? It's so we're not like overestimate. No. And then, you know, look, if the apps out there aren't great and kids are playing with the apps, then it looks like they're learning, but they may be learning at a very superficial level and not in the same way that they would be learning if they were engaging in hands-on manipulation with an adult next to them, asking them questions and working with them. So I, I think it's kind of an illusion. I think it's because kids know how to swipe and use the devices better than we do. But it's it's not convincing to me that they're so much smarter so much sooner. Rebecca, you weigh in on this too. And it's okay if you disagree. No, I totally agree. And I think I just wanted to uh, pick a really specific example. There's some research showing that um, baby media, so media for kids like 12 to 18 months, like Baby Einstein was really popular uh, maybe maybe a decade ago. Um, and there was some research showing, you know, that infants, toddlers that age really don't learn from baby media, um, learn new, new vocabulary, new words from that type of content. And the, but parents thought they did. Parents loved it. Parents said, this is like baby craft. My baby loves this thing. They're learning so much. But kids have a word spurt around that time as well. And so, of course, these kids are starting to say new words and parents are misattributing that to the type of content that they're seeing that that baby media they were exposing them to and not thinking about all of the other language exposure these kids are having from you, from the adults in their lives every day. Um, so I think it is really easy for parents to sort of misattribute or overattribute learning to technology, which kids are really engaged in and interested in. And then they, of course, are learning because they're children and children are sponges and they're picking stuff up from all of us all the time. So there's a lot of learning that's happening. And so it's just thinking about how do we attribute how do we attribute that to the media versus to us, to the adults so in their this lives? This relates to your question of how much time well, yeah, I mean, you know, I can right? tell you as a parent, here's why I ask that question, because as a parent, not only are we looking for hard and fast facts, of course, we are also looking for a little reassurance that we're not damaging our kids by sticking their faces in one of these. And yes. it is a, yes. it's the wild, wild west. For so many of us, it, there's a, there's a cost benefit analysis that we're constantly running through our brains. Like, okay, I will get 45 minutes of relaxation if I give them an iPad for this long. And it really is hard. It's like the devil in the corner because I can get so much done when my child is on an iPad. And I sound like a bad, a bad mom saying that, but technology is convenient. And it's, it's a temptation that a lot of parents have to use. 
Yes, look, Rebecca and I are both shaking our heads. No, it's not the devil in the corner and you're not bad. No, no. I, but yeah, I mean, you can make I'm, good selections, Sonny. If you make good selections for them and they're not watching junk and they're not watching shoot-em-ups, then, you yeah. know, they'll learn I, stuff as they watch and they can learn things like empathy and mm -hmm. story interpretation, how narratives go, but you have to pick it for them. You know what drives me crazy, and I, I don't know if you have any experience with children in your life consuming this type of content, but there's like a whole genre on YouTube of guys or girls playing video games and just people watching people playing video games. And my son who is eight will just be like, uh, I'm like, oh my God, give me your iPad. You are not allowed to watch these grown men playing video games, but it is, what is it doing to their brains? Why is it so addictive? It's horrible. That's so interesting. I think kids need to have their own video games. I mean, neither Rebecca nor I are Luddites. We're not saying throw out right. your devices, never let them go on. What we are saying, at least what I'm saying, is that parents have to be censors for kids. Mm -hmm. One of the things that disturbs me most is that many parents let kids be around while the news is on. I don't mean on NPR or the radio. I mean on TV when all kinds of violent and yucky things are happening. So parents really have to think about how is my kid going to make sense of this? And, and that's really important. And if parents find the material uh, offensive and if somebody's saying on TV, this is going to be tough. I don't know if you want to watch it. That's the time to turn it off. Let, let me hop in there. We're in a time of unprecedented unrest. And I do like to expose my children to the basic facts of the story. They're eight, six, and three. What is some good advice, Rebecca or Roberta, either of one of you can take this for at an age appropriate level, um, keeping our kids plugged into what's happening in the world? Because I think every parent's worst nightmare is to raise a child who is so insulated that they go out and have no yes. reality. Definitely. Rebecca. And I think, I think the, um, your term there, age appropriate, is really important. So thinking about what you expose them to and then talking to them about it and helping them understand it, right? So even if your kid accidentally sees something on TV or something on YouTube that you wouldn't have necessarily wanted to expose them to, instead of just shutting it off and not talking about it, saying, okay, you saw this thing, let's talk about, you know, why that person did that or how that happened or what that means or just sort of helping them um, understand what's going on in the world rather than entirely censoring them, I think is really important. So I really like that you, you want to expose them to this, you know, the basics of what's going on in the world at an age appropriate level and help them understand it. Think about sex. It's the same thing. You know, kids can ask questions and you don't have to fill them in on every little last detail. And you can tell them things that are age right. appropriate. It's the same thing. Oh, my kids know everything but like the what gets what gets the baby there at this point i don't know how we got here so quickly but one day they asked how does the baby get from your body out and i was like let me think about how to say this well you know how a dino lays an egg i was like i'm gonna go lay an egg and have your sister <laughs> that's great it kind of it was a little weird but it worked i just don't want them going into school now and being like my mom's a dino like <laughs> it's really weird but um but yeah i'm an advocate of truth telling to a degree because to i a degree you know 
to a degree. Yes. Um, what do you try to equip new parents with when it comes to um, technology exposure besides appropriate apps, which we've covered and sort of trusting your parental instinct? Is there a resource that you like? You guys mentioned common sense media, but yes. something else that you kind of direct parents toward to be a compass in this world. So I think what Rebecca said about common sense media is excellent. And they're the main player out there. There are a couple yep. of books out there too. That For anybody uh, not familiar with yes. common sense media, just tell us briefly what that, it's an online resource. Yes. Are we able to search things by name and title mm -hmm. or what? Yes. And they evaluate movies. I'm always sending it to my daughters-in-law because they tell you what movies are appropriate for what age and they evaluate things. And it's, it's a really, wonderful resource and Rebecca do you know of anything else out there that does the same kind of thing no, I only I know common sense media yeah they, they, they definitely are the, the leaders in this space I'd say and you can definitely search things um you can see it here on the screen you can definitely search things um, that you're specifically interested in, but then also browse by category yes. or by age mm -hmm. range what's recommended oh, yeah. for my seven-year-old what's recommended for my seven-year-old um, that's really helpful. Fortnite well. is F-O-R-T-N-I-T-E, producer Rachel. That's why it didn't <laughs> pop up there. Make it one word. She's searching up Fortnite. Let me see how much I'm damaging my children in real time yeah. here. Hold, please. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, age there 13 plus. Probably not the best thing. Let, let's actually transition to that stage of life because we've talked about early childhood and kind of um, helping to make age-appropriate conversations and restrictions for technology. but. Let's move on to preteen years and the, the, the time of life where technology is a more essential part of their daily lives. Do you have a recommendation about when is the best age to get a cell phone? That is a big one for parents. That's huge, it's huge. Um, I have twin grandchildren whose parents succeeded in holding off until they were in eighth grade. You know how old that was? That was 13. Is that old for these days? Uh, yeah. Everybody in their class had a cell phone. Now, I'm not that crazy about giving kids cell phones early. First of all, you have no control over what they look at. And second of all, it's not clear to me for children who are uh, not, well, now not leaving the house, <laughs> why they need that much uh, cell phone coverage because parents want to know where they are, but it's it's more than that. I think that it empowers kids to interact over the cell phone a lot. And I don't have to tell you that sometimes online bullying takes place where children will say things in a text to someone that they wouldn't say in person. So you have to talk about the etiquette of uh, interactions over cell phones. And I am one to say that the kid really shouldn't be in using the cell phone 24-7. I, I mm -hmm. really don't like that. I would rather have a kid uh, go on Zoom and talk to a friend face-to-face, -face, play a game even over Zoom. But uh, I think that uh, the, telephone, the cell phone thing gets overused. Rebecca, do you have any research that supports what the brain is like at that stage of development and like the the um, the good and bad, the damage it can do by introducing that and, and the good it also does? Sure. So my specific focus is in early childhood, but there's a lot of research on, on adolescents. And one of the things we know about adolescents is that they're highly motivated by um, the social aspect, right? So that social interaction with their friends. And so when you are the last kid in eighth grade who doesn't have a cell phone, that is you know, highly motivating for children to be engaged with their friends. And this, 
this space that is now sort of intermixed with the real, um, you know, the virtual space of the cell phone environment, and the social media environment is really sort of um, intermixed with the, the real world environment for kids these days, I think. Um, but I think one of the things to think about, regardless of what age, um, what the appropriate age is for introducing these um, devices into kids' lives is thinking about how to support them. So Roberta touched on etiquette, right? So thinking about how to support kids and what is cyberbullying? What do you do if you encounter cyberbullying? Um, and then setting restrictions and um, having sort of a conversation with kids about what is appropriate use of these devices. So instead of just saying, I'm gonna monitor you, I'm gonna yes. restrict you, saying like, yes. as a family, we're gonna put devices downstairs at 9 p.m. and they don't go into the bedrooms. And here's why I think that's important. And sort of having some buy-in from kids about um, yes. Yes. you know, what the appropriate use of these devices is so they don't just sort of take over their lives, which is certainly um, possible. I love that. And then I love that. take them away if they don't. I mean, I I'm scared of this. I have friends and family who are at this stage with their children who are at the preteen years and it's already very dramatic and difficult. Um, they they become so dependent on these things. So is it a matter of just like you said, setting those boundaries and then removing it? Is but, that your advice if they don't follow the rules? But what Rebecca is saying is not just stipulating, not just coming down from above and saying, you will have the phone from one to three, but not from four to five, you know, rather than doing that, it's about having conversations. There's nothing in raising children that isn't about having conversations, except maybe when they're little and you know you don't want them to cross the street. But if you have conversations with your kids and explain to them that they may think that being on cell phones all the time is important for their social life, but in fact, in the past, many people didn't have cell phones and they still had a lot of friends and talking to them about how it works and how it's not good for them to be on 24 seven. I, I think you can with them set an agenda because perhaps it's really important for them between seven and eight at night after they've done their homework. And then you can build in those kinds of contingencies too. When you finish your homework, then you can go on your phone for an hour to interact with your friends but no longer than that. But you have to get the buy-in. You have to get the buy-in. And you might want them to write the rules down for both of you so that you can both look at these rules. Well, and I think what you said, Roberta, about both of you is interesting because it, it's not, it, I think what we do is also more sometimes more important to kids than what we say to them to do, right? So parents are addicted to their cell phones too. I don't know about you, Sunny, um, but I know that I use my cell phone all day, every day. Um, and and so thinking about how we can model appropriate use of these devices and have that be sort of a, a family model as opposed to like, here's the restrictions that I'm going to impose on the children um, that you're not actually necessarily engaging with yourself. And so if it is like, you know, here's how we're going to engage as a family. I'm going to put my cell phone down while we eat dinner so that I can engage with you. Um, then that I think can can be important for how children are learning to use these devices as well. I, think I like that's to a great be, point. I like to be as specific as we can. So I'm going to ask you guys to just give us a quick like crib sheet of like a way you're going to start a conversation. You have a 12 year old daughter say comes to you and says, "Mom." I think I'm ready to get a cell phone and or I really want a cell phone. All my friends have them and you're like ready to do it, but you want to like, like give me something you would say to her or, or your son, I guess at that age, that feels age appropriate, that lets them know there are boundaries, but also 
allows them to have that freedom? Like, what would you say? So I might say that having a cell phone is a responsibility. And it's a responsibility to your friends and to your parents and to yourself. And we need to talk about this thoroughly before we get a phone. It's not just, oh, yeah, here, take the phone. No, no, no. We have to talk about what gets done on the phone, when the phone is used, and how you interact with others on the phone. And perhaps because they don't have the phone yet, this would be the time that they were most interested in listening and interacting with you about what is appropriate. And I think also talking about, you know, why these restrictions might be important. And oh, yes. we don't, you know, I saying, you know, I, I feel like I don't sleep as well when the phone is in my bedroom mm -hmm. or when I'm looking at the phone right before bed. Sometimes it wakes me up mm -hmm. at night. So I think it's important to turn it off or to have it outside the bedroom at that time. Or sometimes I'm, you know, kids notice what you do, like we were saying, right? So maybe that like, sometimes you've noticed that sometimes I get too attached to my phone and I'm looking at it too much and it's disrupting our interactions in the home. And so I think it's really important that that doesn't happen to either of us. And so here's some suggestions for how we might get, get um, sort of avoid, avoid that situation. So making sure that it's not just these arbitrary rules, but helping right. a child understand why these, you know, rules or guidelines or whatever we're going to set together are, are important and why you think they're going to be beneficial for the child, um, not just as these arbitrary guidelines. So, you know, Go ahead, Roberta. so what, what we could do, I mean, do you still have dinner with your kids and your spouse? In our house? Yeah, I, I would say about four nights a week we do. I mean, usually sometimes we're on the run on, right. on activities, but I would say a yeah. solid four nights a week That's we're great. together. You can have a basket where people put their cell phones. That includes mom and dad too. And it, it's really diff, I know, these phones are candy for all of us, but we will it's not insane. die. I know, I know, we will not die if we get back to people an hour and a half later, no one mm -hmm. will die. And it's really important for children to understand that there's a time and a place for cell phones. And when you're interacting in person with your family, that's the time not to use it. And that means for parents too. Look, I'm addicted, but if I'm interacting with a grandchild, I'm not gonna go on my phone. And it mm -hmm. would be great if parents could resist that too. Then they're modeling appropriate behavior for their kid. Yeah, that's the thing. We're addicted, but we have yes. a level of consciousness to know when, when too much is is enough. Also, we weren't raised with it. So I do have a concern that there is like a biological mechanism that's firing in these kids that we didn't have at that age. I don't know if there's, I don't know. I feel like whatever that serotonin hit is that they get with that device, that bridge is being, that, that gap is being bridged at a much earlier age. And I'm obviously not a scientist, but I worry sometimes that that addiction center is firing a little early in our kids. And I hope that they're not, as a result, going to be seeking out other types of addictive behavior. Like, am I crazy for worrying about that? You want to take it, Rebecca? I mean, I certainly think, you know, we know that, that, you can experience some of the same reward um, mechanisms in the brain in response to like a social media like or something like that, that we do to other um, other types of rewards. Um, but in, in, and I think that in, in terms of addiction, technology certainly has some of the same potentially addicting properties as some of the other, you know, things you might be 
be worried about, but most people don't have um, addictive problems, for example, with food, right? So you can have a, an addiction to, to food and you can have an eating disorder that um, leads to problems, but most people don't. Most people engage with food normally and, and, and typically and have a good relationship with food. And so thinking about technology in the same way, right? Like, yes, yeah, certainly you can be addicted to technology and that can become a problem for some people, but that isn't, um, I don't think that necessarily means that like everyone shouldn't have technology or that we should be super concerned about it. Okay, that makes me feel better. Um, and, <laughs> and Sunny, we can ahead, feel the same way about um, these series on television that we're all watching now. I am so hooked on some of these series. I can't wait to watch the next episode. They're really high quality. And I don't think me or many of my friends who are on these are going to turn to crack next. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too worried that this will generalize. But it's a worthwhile question, Sunny. It really is what you ask. Uh, yeah, I mean, I because I'm referencing my childhood, where which was much more outdoors and much more person to person. I didn't understand outside validation through social media until I was a fully functioning adult and I still hate it. It still makes me itchy with anger. So I'm thinking, my God, when my eight-year-old picks up a phone one at one point that's maybe not even his and experiences that hit, is he going to look for that, even if it's not addiction, validation outside of him? It worries me. And and you, we can tell our kids to go outside, go play with kids as much as we want, but they're never going to escape the world we live in. So, I mean, I'm sure this involves different types of therapies and discussions throughout life as well, but making sure that their sense of self-worth isn't tied to that. Not forget addiction, but even social media. It's just truly, it troubles me. And I, I, I guess the answer to that is like you guys keep saying is continued conversations. But I think I speak for a lot of parents when I say yes. that feels insurmountable at times. And it's your word, it's balance. We should be yep. thinking about balance. And you know, children have been locked up and away from their friends for a long time. And now children are going to be desperate to play with friends when that is a possibility. And mm -hmm. I think we really have to emphasize how important it is <clears throat> as you pointed out, excuse me, for children to have face-to-face -face interaction. I'm going to give you one example from the work of Patricia Greenfield at UCLA. So she looked at preteen girls, and they were going to a summer camp, and the girls had to give up their phones for one week. And after the one week, they gave them a psychological test of reading emotion on the face. And guess what? The girls who had given up their cell phones were much better at reading emotions on the face than a control group that hadn't given up the cell phone. So that's really important for kids getting along in life. Mm -hmm. To know and that even that short amount of time has an impact yes. is encouraging. So yeah, yeah that detox yeah. works. I'm sorry, Rebecca, go ahead. No, I think that's great. I think that really highlights um, the importance of interaction in a lot of the things we've been talking about. And so when we think about potentially negative effects of technology, what are we really worried about, right? And one of the main mechanisms that the evidence suggests is not that like technology itself has negative outcomes um, or negative effects on kids' outcomes, but that what technology is replacing might be really important, right? And so if technology is replacing that sort of back and forth interaction, um, with others, that that's what actually leads to the negative effects. So I think that's really important in thinking about a lot of the things you talked about today. 
um, that you're, when you're using technology with kids, when you talk to them about the games they're playing afterwards, then you're using um, their technology and media interests mm -hmm. as sort of a source of conversation and interaction rather than just displacing it. Oh, that's interesting too. Like get engaged on, on a conversational level about what interests them about it. Oh, I like that. I mean, yeah, that, that'll get them yeah. talking. That's exactly. I think it's really easy to just tune out and be like, okay, that's the Fortnite thing. I don't really understand it. That's right. their thing. They're going to do that in their room by themselves. But, you know, if you can get that as part of the dinner conversation um, and you can learn a little bit about what they're interested in, that can be a really nice way to support that interaction um, as well and increase your engagement and involvement in their media use so that you do know a little bit more about what's going on. I think that's I great. Love that. And I, I love yeah. the idea of talking to kids about what they're interested in. You know, four times a week is, is great for having family dinners and one of the things that's going to make your kids love family dinners is if you talk about what interests them and it's not just a discussion between you and your spouse about how many how much money you owe in taxes that year or some such you know you want to you want to talk about topics like one of the things i think would be really useful would be asking kids what are the things that your kids are using the media for and then you can talk about that um, what mm -hmm. are the properties of that uh, app that you say everybody is on? Because when you start talking about the properties of the things that they can get to online and they reveal to you some of the properties that you don't think are so great, then, you know, you got a discussion going and what you're helping them to do mm -hmm. is to make good choices. Oh, I love that. So you're putting the ball back in their court too. Which is always way. good. Yeah. Oh, that's always good. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to round out the conversation today, ladies, with a little bit of a positive note. So we're going to ask this of both of you and whoever wants to go first is fine. What is one thing unique to raising kids in a technological world that makes you hopeful? And Rebecca, oh. we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah. I think one thing that makes me hopeful is the amount of information kids have access to. And we think about um, you know, some of the downsides of that, but it's also a huge positive for kids learning about the world, right? So, um, you know, if I was a kid and my, I asked my parents about what makes the sky blue or some question that they weren't exactly sure about the answer to, how do, you know, the light switch make the light go on, um, when they asked that why, 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 um, they would sort of have to figure it out or we'd have to go to the library or ask somebody. And now it's just right there, you know, you can Google it, you can pull up a YouTube video. So I think that um, technology can really be an asset for kids and families in terms of learning about kids' interests. You're just talking about following kids' interests and learning about what they're interested in, but using technology as a resource for those um, that information about the world and those activities that might follow um, the things that they really want to know. Love so. it. Okay, Roberta, your turn. First of all, I that's the first thing that came to mind. But <laughs> but can we talk, as Joan Rivers used to say? <laughs> I would have died during this period if we didn't have things like FaceTime or Zoom. Uh -huh. I have a new yep. grandchild in Oakland, California, whom I have not met yet, and she is nine months old. Oh, and, that stinks. Well, fortunately, I have a great son who calls me like every day because he knows I'm a baby person and I can talk to my other grandchildren too. It is amazing what this technology has done for us. I am a university professor. I cannot even imagine how I would have conducted classes during this pandemic 
over the telephone? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even begin to think that would have helped anyone. So I am a tremendous fan of the technology that we have. I don't think it is going away. I think we're going to continue to use it in more and more creative ways. The platforms, I think, are going to get better and better. And it's up to us as parents to recognize that children do not do the vast majority of their learning through mm -hmm. screens, but through human interaction with you and with their peers and with their grandparents and caregivers. That's still true, regardless of the availability of the technology. Well, I know I'm grateful for all of the reasons you mentioned, the connection, the yeah. ability, especially last year to interface with teachers. And we had a, for as hard as it was, we had a great system set up for our virtual and it was as best as it was as good as it could be. And I'm grateful that we, we had the ability to do that. But, and I'm also grateful for the moments of peace I get so I can watch Killing Eve while my children play. I, love that. I love that. Oh my God. Did, did, wait, by the way, you guys have to watch that. Have you watched Killing Eve yet? It's on, um, it's BBC America, but it's through Hulu. It's the best. It's really good. Speaking of addiction, let That's that right. be your next binge. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are amazing. Please tell us each individually, and you can each take a turn, where we can find you on social media or websites and any upcoming projects that we need to keep an eye out for. Roberta, we'll start with you on this one. So I have a website. People just have to Google me by my name. And we also are doing a number of different studies online. And you're just reminding me that since we're talking to many people, I should have these studies put up on my website so that people can volunteer <laughs> to participate. Now, oh, good. Also, so it's yes, robertagollincoff.com. And for people who are listening to the it. audio, yes. it'll be R-O-B-E-R-T-A-G-O-L-I-N-K-O-F-F.com. Thanks. So that's where they can find me. And um, I speak all over the world when it's not COVID. And uh, hopefully, uh, I'll get to go out there again and interact with all the wonderful parents and teachers and administrators that fill our world. I love it. Rebecca? Yeah, the best place to find me is through the OSU website or the Crane Center website um, at OSU. And Crane Center has a great Twitter feed that um, would have information about any um, any studies or talks or anything that I'm doing as well as lots of other great information on um, what's going on in, in early childhood research and policy. So that's um, the Crane Center at OSU. Thank you ladies both so much for providing good information, for providing reassurance that, um, you know, we're doing our best in this crazy world and I'm thankful for your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, you ask great questions. Thank oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. And anything they mentioned that we need to list, guys, we'll put in show notes. So make sure you check that out. We'll put Roberta's website. We'll put links to any and all applicable social handles. So we're going to bring on producer Rachel. We usually do this in the beginning of the show, but we wanted to get to these impressive ladies first. I had to roll my sleeves up. I was sweaty. <laughs> <from that conversation. laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> Woo. There was um, a lot. I wore I wear sleeveless tops because I sweat too. But no, that was... You know, so refreshing and surprising to hear everything that both Rebecca and Roberta had to say that technology isn't necessarily bad or negative, mm -hmm. that it just needs to be applied with the parents 
being involved and asking the right questions, get it, giving their kids the right apps and having, honestly, what I heard was it was all about communication, like communicating mm -hmm. with the child and explaining things and, and getting them involved in your uh, boundaries that you're setting with technology. You know, it's, it's just like yeah. anything. I mean, come on, like using the example Roberta said about like sex, right? Like, I mean, our generation was looking for their dad's, you know, Playboy under the mattress and looking at the Sears catalog and like, oh my God. I mean, do you remember how, how disturbing I found, not in my parents' house, because <laughs> thank God, I would have literally run into the treehouse and never come back. But we found another one at a, at a, it was a friend's dad's oh. house and I wanted to literally die. I was like, okay, my childhood is gone because I have seen like, oh my God, I don't know. Total sidebar. But it's yeah, so it's ready the same. for that kind of stuff. Like, yes. It's yeah. it's yeah. all about what the kids are talking about. You have parents being involved in a kid's life, asking the right questions, you know, um, talking to them about their friends, about their interests, and not just like how was today at school, you know, and mm -hmm. and that's what I learned from that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feel, you know, I have such a difficult time with how much is too much in our house because this year has been so exceptional in, in the stress that it has put on all of us. Um, I will never say we have it down perfectly, but um, we are finally at a point where after a year I can say, very honestly, this is, uh, you have to be done with your iPad because if you don't finish and put this away, it's bad for you. It's damaging for you in this way. You're watching too much, you know, you're watching too much activity, not doing activity. You're be going to become addicted. Like I'm very frank with, especially my, my son. I'm like, dude, you got to set it down. I said, mm -hmm. it's not healthy at this point. And he's like, mm. but, um, it's so hard, man. It, it really is. And for every parent who is like me and very open and honest about how difficult it is, there are a lot of self-righteous parents out there too, who are like, you know, well, my kid never. Okay, mm -hmm. Sally, I'm glad your kid never saw an iPad. I cannot wait till he gets to eighth grade and the first kid smoking right. dope on the playground, okay? Just kidding. Good luck. <laughs> I'm just saying like, Ugh, we're in we're You're in right. 2021. They're everywhere. Phones, the, iPads are everywhere. Because the thing is, when we're out of COVID and that kid who's never seen an iPad goes over to your house, they're going to see an iPad and they're going to be loving going over to Sonny's house because Sonny's got the iPad. Like, I mean, you, you can't restrict so strongly, and but you can't right. also give so much. It's about finding your own parental boundary of what yeah. works for you. And, and, it, yes. and it really is about the moments that you get to spend with your kid too, right? that they're going to remember long term like mm -hmm. a moment you just had with your your middle daughter and taking her to go get her ears pierced you know it's I like no my little baby got her ears pierced this weekend our middle one yeah i mean you know i did put that on social media on my personal page though i was like very proud she came to that decision on her own but yeah i mean that was cool again good example of technology put to good use i showed i shared it on my facebook page so my family could see that's right. you know my personal page that's not in town and it was wonderful it's it's right. it's all about balance and restrictions so um right. so yeah i'm grateful and she did so well by the way it was so funny you know how when we got our ears pierced it, like piercing pagoda they had like <laughs> like the guns yeah. <laughs> it was like a box it was like an open rectangle with like a, a thing that went through and it would poke your earring into your ear well this place was amazing it was a piercing studio and they did not shoot your ear with a freaking gun it was a delicate needle that they just pushed right through and she didn't even cry she giggled it was insane they told her 
I know it was crazy. I was, they were like, okay, we're gonna take a deep breath in and then push it out really hard. And when you push it out is when they put the earring through and it was miraculous. She didn't, wow. she didn't cry. Nothing. Out of her. That's amazing. Nothing. I know. I'm that's so amazing. I know. That's so cute. Now I want to like go get my ears like re-pierced. I used to have like, you know, the sides and the cartilage and then just like over time the earrings like fell out and now the holes are closed. Oh, but did it, they close up? Yeah. And then it's just like, eh, it's just weird. I have regular, you know, holes, but like for the ears. But the thing for me was when I was a kid, I couldn't, I had to wait to get my ears pierced in between sports because there was like this whole fear yeah. that the stud was going to go through your ear if you got hit in the head with like a basketball or a soccer ball. And then I had to put some athletic tape around the earring to protect it from piercing the back of my head. Uh, who knows if that really <laughs> yeah. made any sense, but like talk about transitioning to technology today but like that was the, the biggest concern was I had to wait until I was like in between a season that they could heal so that I could take them out right because like when you get them pierced you have to leave them in for so long so yeah yeah they, six to eight weeks uh -huh. oh, maron. So like it was so <laughs> ridiculous it was so ridiculous um we've come I, a long way yeah that's like not even a concern really right. like I mean Oh my God, it's so 80s and 90s. Again, we did not grow up with technology, but some weird ass stuff that that we had to that we had to live through. Mm -hmm. Yep, like athletic mm -hmm. tape on my newly pierced ears. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like that was going to save my life. Come on. I moved. You can't tell, but um, I moved at the last minute because I was <gasps> shot with a gun through my yeah. ear and mine is super low as a result. So <laughs> I remember, this is so damaging. I remember, I remember it vividly because it was a traumatic experience and they were like, they were holding me in the chair and I kind of went like that. And so this one is the one that's crooked. So I'm just like, why? I would have rather waited until I was 15 and did it right. But you can see like, it's like a, it's a low, I got low hanging fruit on my left ear. <laughs> you know, oh, well. you win some, you lose some. Yes, you do. Um, that was fun though, Rach. They were so great to talk to. Oh yeah. And it was, I've definitely, if I was a parent, I would definitely have felt a sense of like relief and ease mm. knowing that if I applied a lot of their practical tips and tools that both Roberta and Rebecca offered of how to like manage this today and good resources mm -hmm. like commonsensemedia.org to like figure out what is good or not good for children and just finding the right apps and setting the boundaries. It's good. You're good. You're good. I mean, yeah, like you good. guys have enough to worry about as parents, like Jesus, don't overwhelm yourself with, with even more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And we'll link all that stuff. Like we said, guys, Common Sense Media, we will put a link to Roberta's book in there, which is amazing. And um, any and all links to Rebecca as well. All right, Rachel, the best. Thank you so much. Um, appreciate you popping on, guys. Please do leave a rating and review. That is huge. This is me begging you. Leave a rating and review. That goes really far in helping these podcasts to get out. We got to talk.com slash blog is the place to go to find any and all blog posts related to this week's topic. So make sure to check that out. And that's it. We're going to wrap it up for the week. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this week's episode. Oh, quick note, if you're ever listening to the podcast and want to go watch the video version, there are some things that we show and display during these interviews that obviously aren't visible during the podcast. Please check out facebook.com slash we got to talk. We also stream on YouTube on youtube.com slash Sunny Abada, which is my name. 
course it's my name. You knew that already. All right, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next week with more goodness here on We Gotta Talk. Bye.